The whole purpose of financial independence is not to live a life of deprivation for 20 years to have another lifetime of financial luxury. The whole purpose is to have a good quality of life and have choices. You're listening to the Expertish Podcast. Be sure to head over to iTunes or Spotify and tell Jay what you thought about this episode. Expertish is where you can learn how to invest from those who have, those who are, and have some fun along the way. Are you ready to start? Okay, today we've got a great guest with us, Doug Nordman, talking to us from Hawaii. Thanks for coming on, Doug. Thanks, Jay. I enjoyed your episode with uh, Todd Yates and uh, transferring uh, resources for people making that transition. Right. Thank you. Thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, Todd's a great guy and a, a good friend here in San Diego and does a lot of good stuff. And I know you're you're providing a ton of mentorship to people uh, doing the same thing, helping <laughs> plan for that and, and plan for that stability, you know, outside the military, right? That's right. As stable as it can be. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the best that we can. And a quick question before you get too much. Did you start out on this, besides your personal experience, as far as the mentorship side of it, did you start out with the writing with the military guide and then evolve into some of the things like we've discussed, like your books and other mentorship, or was it a different way around? Well, if I was starting all over again, I would have started the blog first, but instead <clears throat> I got involved with uh, forums and discussion boards back in the early 2000s and late 90s. And from there, uh, we came up with the idea on one forum of writing a book. And I spent uh, six, seven years working on that. When I finally found a publisher for the book, I knew I was supposed to start a blog to market the book. And that's when I started the blog. But of course, today you have as much content as you have on a blog, and then you use that to write the book. So I would have done it much better the second time around. Well, there you go. Some people get to learn from that from you already. How about a little bit of background on yourself, like your uh, military career and, uh, you know, and what you did transitioning out, the things that worked and maybe some things that didn't work for you? Sure. I'm a retired U.S. Navy submariner. We call that a recovering submariner. I don't know if you have the same thing going on in your community. And uh, I did 20 years of active duty in submarine force. Surviving aviation, is it? <laughs> Surviving. I love it. I retired in 2002 after 20 years of active duty. And by that point, my spouse and I had reached financial independence. We'd had a high savings rate for most of our careers. And when I was getting close to that transition point, uh, one of the things that everybody does is you take all those uh, self-assessments and career interest surveys and all the other tools available to you. And back then in the late 1990s, they were in workbooks. Uh, I filled out all those forms and worked with the computer software. And at the end of it, uh, after almost 20 years of teaching nuclear engineering to students and operating nuclear submarines, it turned out that I'd make a, a pretty good nuclear engineer or middle manager, much to my surprise. I wasn't interested in replicating that as a civilian, and there's no nuclear utilities on the island of Oahu. So I wanted to stay in Hawaii, and I did not want to have that kind of career. And at that point, uh, I realized that I was probably going to have to carve my own career. Uh, so when we retired, uh, we took life easy. Uh, one of the sided things that happened uh, during terminal leave on the day of retirement, uh, my family, we all joked about this, but my family took surfing lessons. Uh, the joke was, you're going to be so bored. What are you going to do? You can't possibly surf all day. So, of course, we had to find out. I was hooked. My daughter was almost 10 years old at the time. I really enjoyed surfing, and I realized that Although there are plenty of places in the world where we could live, Hawaii surf made that uh, one of the more important criteria in my view, my life plan. 
So I spent time with family and realized uh, as I got more comfortable with our financial independence and with the finances and everything else that I really enjoyed writing and talking with people and paying it forward and using my experiences to help advise them and theirs. And by this point, I'd done very well with forums and, and small groups and talking with people. And uh, we just kept going. Around 2005, we got the idea to write the Military Guide to Financial Independence and Retirement. Spent about five years uh, working on the actual draft of that and then going through a traditional publisher. Uh, that came out in 2011. Uh, today, we're working on an audiobook version for whatever reason, we never got around to it back then. Uh, but we'll put out the audiobook version and also uh, eventually update the book with a, a second edition. When do you expect the uh, audiobook version coming out? It'll probably be uh, early next spring or summer. Uh, first thing to do is to sit down and actually record the soundtracks. And uh, that's, the, that's the straightforward part. Right. Uh, and then we're going to crowdsource the second edition as well. Now, when we wrote the first edition, uh, we used uh, the advice and the stories and the wisdom of over 60 service members and veterans and their families. And we're going to do the same thing for the second edition. Now, it's all evergreen. Uh, the actual uh, math of financial independence hasn't changed in the last 30 years. Uh, a lot of the techniques are the same, but there are various topics we can refresh. Uh, for example, we're not going to talk about the old Redux career status bonus pension plan anymore, but we will talk about the blended retirement system and bring in a few other updates like that. Yeah, that'll be huge too, because I'd get a lot of questions uh, just with talking with people on the uh, blended retirement system too. It's new enough that a lot of the people like myself, you know, I retired three years ago and even towards the end when that was really coming out, it's hard to gain enough knowledge to speak intelligently to, you know, to some of the younger guys on it when it first comes, you know, there's just not that information. And now I think people are, are starting to settle into it more and, and, realized how to utilize that uh, a little differently because it's totally different than anything we had before. So, Oh, yeah. And in reality, I think it's working out much better. Uh, it, this is personal in our family. Uh, my daughter joined the Navy out of college and she's married to another Naval officer. And so these two, it's uh, the whole transition to the blended retirement system. Right. And they were probably the first handful of people that signed up for it. That's awesome. That's awesome. And probably a little bit of a good foresight from you to... How, how to utilize that, utilize that. Yeah, probably doesn't hurt. There's, there's some spirited discussion and a, a thorough analysis of the math and the uh, stock market and all the other app options available. Right, right. Well, that, that's, uh, didn't you, you and your daughter also wrote a book together, correct? Or you're working on a book together? Yeah, and uh, this is the follow-on, really. Uh, the questions that I've gotten from my audience have evolved over the years. Mm -hmm. and I think everybody knows where to find information on reaching financial independence today. The questions I started getting were, how do you raise your kids for next-generation financial independence? Yeah. Uh, and after hearing those questions for a couple of years, uh, we professional authors call that a clue. <laughs> and uh, we started responding to those and writing to them. Uh, and one night, uh, I was, we, my wife and I were visiting uh, our daughter and son-in-law. And over dinner, uh, we said, hey, you know, we were just at a financial conference. And we got that question again about raising your kids for next generation financial independence. And you know, Carol, what, what do you remember about how we raised you for that? Uh, she just lit up. You know, she had plenty of memories and stories. Most of them were good, uh, right, but right. plenty of memories and stories. And uh, over dinner, I suddenly realized I, I needed to be taking notes. Uh, <laughs> by the time we got to dessert, we were writing the outline. Uh, she, at that point, uh, this was started in 2017 and early 2018. 
and she was attending the Navy's transition planning seminar that week, you know, TAP GPS. Uh, and she was aware of the financial part. She was keeping up with everything they were talking about. And quietly in the back of the room on her laptop, she was writing the first three chapters of the book. Oh, uh, and yeah, I, uh, I had a lot of catching up to do, but right. uh, we really, I really enjoyed writing a book with my daughter about this. And we talk about all the mistakes that families and kids will make in learning to manage money. The kids will learn to manage their money before they're interested in saving or investing. Uh, the way a kid learns to manage their money is to make mistakes with it. And so as a parent, you're there to set up the environment in which they can run around and play in a sandbox and figure all this out without causing too much damage. But you're also there to help them talk through their feelings and help them understand their mistakes and what they do differently next time. So that book comes out, uh, it releases on 8 September. It's been in pre-order for the last seven weeks now. Oh, awesome. it's looking strong. I'm uh, pleasantly surprised by the response. You know, apparently everybody's questions are are quite common, and it's a good thing we wrote a book to answer them. Well, that's pretty awesome. And what a great project to do with your daughter, right? Oh yeah, I really enjoyed having her for a co-author, and and frankly, she's a better writer than I am. But I learned a lot, and we both elevated our games as we were writing this book. And I think she's going to enjoy the response that that she sees coming in from it. And it's personal now because uh, they've started their family and they're raising a seven month old baby, our daughter, Aria, granddaughter. And they'll, uh, they'll be trying those same techniques as soon as she uh, stops putting money in her mouth. Right. Yeah. Right. Then, uh, you know, eventually she'll be, maybe she can write the follow on book with your daughter, you know? Exactly. And I, I hope that I'm not still around to have to write that part of it, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be fun to watch them take over. Right. For sure. That's for sure. I, I think too, one thing that you had mentioned what you were writing at first of just taking the stories and the experiences from so many other people. And I feel like that really hits people a little more deeply. They, they understand, Hey, other people have gone through it or they've done it. Other people's successes, failures, and it makes it seem more human and more realistic um, as opposed to some financial wizard speaking down to people, you know, like, Hey, this is what it is. But sometimes I know, and I hear this from people like, Oh, well, I don't have that background. I don't have that knowledge. I don't have that education for that. And it's really not that difficult, you know, but it is, it is, can be scary. So I think the, you know, what you, what you mentioned about utilizing so many people's experiences, it just makes it a human experience that people feel is achievable. Absolutely. And recognize that it's one step at a time. It's not, it's not like a leap across the finish line. It's like taking that <laughs> step, right? Well, I also got some pushback at first. Uh, people, you know, feel like you're writing to them from your ivory tower. And then, and then there's a commentary that comes in and says, well, if I was in the Navy and I had CPAY, I would be financially independent by now too, but yeah. I'm an infantry Marine or I'm an Army uh, artillery officer and it's just completely different for us. Well, we have all those stories now. They're either in the book or on the blog, and we have readers from all the services who are able to talk about how to reach financial independence. The math works the same for everybody in the military and their families as it does for civilians. Right, and and a lot of the benefits that are there to help us, they are, that is service-wide, you know, that's across all the services, you know, there, exactly. are, there are differences in, you know, uh, special pays and things, but basic pays are the same. The entitlement the same, you know, all the other things are really just small, you know, small variables. So I agree. Everyone can really make a, a big difference. Uh, yep. Taking a step for sure. 
Well, I know E3s and E2s who have managed to save tremendous amounts of money, uh, even on their paychecks. Uh, one of them posted to Reddit the other day about saving $30,000 before making E4. Right. And I also, unfortunately, hear from the other side of the bell curve where I'll hear from uh, relatively senior officers, senior enlisted, who are still trying to pay off twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 in consumer debts or student loans or, or other issues like that. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, you hear both sides of that. I definitely... There's a... A guy I'm working with, a super good guy. He's a young Marine and he reached out early, I'd say around February, early in the year, and just said, Hey, I have more money than I've ever had. I'm putting away more money than I've ever had before. I don't know what to do. And I didn't know his situation yet. This is the initial phone call. And he's like, I want to get into real estate. I want to learn how to invest into real estate. I want to do this or that. I'm like, Okay, cool. What do you, you know? What do you have put away? And like, you know, what's been your, how long did it take you to get there? And he, I think it was 10,000 at the time, almost 11,000. He put a couple thousand in a seat. This is, he was making up on his own, like, you know, a, a thousand CD when he originally got it. And I'm like, well, how long have you been doing this? He was a month and a half out of basic training and 18 <laughs> years old. So I'm like, so you've put this away in, you know, like a couple, you know, total of like what, four months or something when most kids right then are just like, okay, cool. I have disposable income now. And this kid had put away all his money and he's like, Hey, I've just never had it before. Like let's do something with it. And, uh, that was kind of inspiring and made me feel like a slacker from my times. Uh, <laughs> you know, sometimes we all need to be put in check, right? Hey, I would have had an awesome Ford F-150 pickup truck if I'd been in his situation. <laughs> right. <laughs> Seriously. So I'm thinking, I'm like, that's a great down payment on a car. But uh, <laughs> he's looking at a couple, I think in about two, three weeks, he'll be getting his first home. So, you oh, know, that's fantastic. To hear. Yeah, that's a, it's an amazing story. That's a win for sure. How about this? Since we know how, how far you've progressed and you've really worked toward that stability, how about the largest mistake you ever made? <laughs> We are, we are living proof that saving for financial independence will have a lot of mistakes in it and you'll still get there to the finish line. And the, the, the interesting part is that all of those mistakes you're going to make over the years, uh, everybody beats themselves up. You know, for example, oh, I threw away some rotten bananas the other day and I feel bad about wasting that money. All of those mistakes will be overcome by a high savings rate. If you can achieve and then maintain a high savings rate, you know, it's, it's tough starting out, but eventually you'll get to the point where you'll start cutting out that waste and start spending your money where it's important to you. And as you cut out that waste and start building your savings and start investing, that high savings rate, the longer you sustain it, the more it will overcome any other mistakes you've made in your life. Uh, we did this in the 80s and 90s. And back then, you're using you know, clay tablets and wooden styluses, and, and you're using uh, tin cans with string. Mm -hmm. But we were paying 1980s investment fees. And back then, you literally wrote out a check and sent it off to a company like Fidelity. Uh, there's another company called Vanguard, some new startup out there, kind of wacky. They had all these low expense ratios, but they had a lot of strict rules, and you couldn't trade very much. And it just seemed like it wasn't going to work out. But we would pay 2% sales charges, just 2% just to invest the money, just to give the money to the investment company. And then we'd pay expense ratios that were one and a half, sometimes 2% on top of that sales charge. Mm -hmm. uh, and you're encouraged to find the hot funds and find the hot managers and chase performance and pull your money out whenever the stock market dips and put more money in when you know the stock market's going back up. We made those mistakes for easily the 80s and the 90s and really didn't straighten that out until the early 2000s. Uh, so just 
by the leakage, by the wastage of the investments that we made and the time that we had in the market, that high savings rate and putting that in there and finding an asset allocation and leaving it in there, things turned around and got much better once we settled down and used those techniques. So today it seems really straightforward and boring to advise people to put as much as they can in a thrift savings plan uh-huh. to maximize your contributions to your IRA and then save even more in taxable accounts and just use passively managed index funds, you know, pick an asset allocation. You can probably be pretty aggressive in a stock market if you've got a steady military paycheck and put it in autopilot, right? Because as soon as you go out there to get qualified, as soon as you're out at sea or in the air or in the desert or in the mud, you're not going to have the resources you need to spend a lot of time learning how to trade stocks or be busy with the stock market. The autopilot and the high savings rate will get you to financial independence. After you've started doing that with a high savings rate, it's just boring execution, right? Right. Not so boring though when you get to watch it grow. You know, that's the that's the kind of uh, oh, yeah. little satisfaction. And then for me, I had ups and downs of doing the smart things or you know or really dumb things. <laughs> Once I got the TSB going, that was a great tool, like you said, because yeah. when you're on like quick deployment cycles and you're gone a lot you're not hurt. It doesn't hurt anything. You know, okay, you may not, again, people, I hear a lot of people, the same thing that I believe you're talking about. Like, well, if you would have done this, you could have made X amount more. If you'd have done this, you could have done, you know, made this much more. But if you'd done nothing, you wouldn't make any. So I would rather have that, you know, so instead of like just, you know, a paralysis by analysis, at least having the money in there and, and something that's performing, and then if you're gone for a year and a half, if you're deploying back to back or whatever the case is, you're still making money, you know? And, and I think you, no one can complain about that. You can't, just can't complain about that. Well, it's, it's picking that asset allocation and setting things up and finding something that you're comfortable with that you right. don't feel like you have to keep fiddling with or that you're afraid to turn your back on. I, I don't know if you've heard about the Fidelity study a couple of years ago where they reviewed the trading records of their customers and ranked them according to uh, the various achievements they'd made. And they found out that the best performing investors that they had as clients were either in long-term care facilities and unable to uh, handle their own investments, or they had died and, and the account had not yet been uh, probated and, and dispersed to their heirs. And those were the best performers as the people that couldn't trade. Yeah. I think my best time frame with the TSP was 2007 to 2010 with oh, yeah. a lot of deployments gone because I didn't mess with it. You know, before sometimes I'll, you know, you look at your quarterly report or something and you're like, oh, I'm going to move a little of this or that. And I think more than anything, it just made me feel like I was doing something more than more than really making progress. But taking then, action. Yeah, I was t- I was <laughs> totally in control of that. I had no clue. All right. <laughs> but, um, but you know, then stuck with what you said. Like I knew I was going to deploy. I'm like, well, let me just get something set up that that seems to make sense. And then I totally forgot about it because I came back and then I <laughs> went back again. And then came so like for a three year period, I essentially I I totally forgot. Didn't look. I probably didn't log into an account or anything. And it was the best performance Fantastic. ever because I wasn't, I, I find this a lot in my life when I don't get in my own way, things seem to do better. <laughs> so but to your point of like, find something that performs for you and it, it, it'll keep performing even if you just let it go, you know? Absolutely. As long as you can relax and know you have a plan, then right. if you just leave it alone, you'll do well. That's a big point too. Just having a plan, not just with TSB or any kind of stock or any kind of, uh, 
any anything specifically, but just having a plan of what you enjoy, what you um, believe in, or what is the best course to get to that financial freedom that you're speaking of. Having a plan is is just huge because if you don't have a plan, okay. just putting some money aside that never seems to stick. You know, if you don't have a plan for it, if you're not working towards some goal, it just doesn't work out. I don't know how much you see this in your side of the business, but to me, for the people in the military who are using a thrift savings plan but want to invest in real estate, yeah. it's the same process. You need to set a goal. I'm going to have this much money to start investing, or I'm going to work with these people for a certain amount of time and put some equity into the business. But you sit down and you figure out what you're going to learn and how long you're going to spend learning it and how much money you want to have available and then how you're going to leverage. Right. And again, if you sit there and plan and put out a timeline and work around your your day job, mm-hmm. then you'll eventually reach your goals. It's literally as much as 20 minutes a day, right? Or an hour a week of working on something to move you a little further along in there. I can tell when financial independence is working for my my audience when I hear from people who are either investing in the thrift savings plan in the stock market or investing in real estate, when they get to about eight or 10 years of active duty and they say, you know, my career is going good, but it's not as challenging and as fulfilling as used to be. And it's not as fun. Right. And on the side here, I've got, you know, $400,000 in a thrift savings plan, or I've got six rental properties at a a seven to 10% cap rate and they're spewing cash and, all my other interests in investing are starting to interfere with my day job and I, I've got to make a decision here. And those are the conversations I love having because that's when you know you're probably going to be able to reach financial independence in the next 10 years easily. And you don't need to stay in the military and gut it out for the pension or do things you don't really enjoy doing anymore. Right. Maybe it's time to go to the reserves or National Guard and work on that extra career a little more and, and do other things with your life and get some balance back. So again, once the process gets started, once people put a little effort into it every week to learn something or do something or network, the results are astounding. They really are. And, and uh, the other side of that too, for me, I once I got to a point where I, I won't say didn't need the military, but when I knew that at any time I could walk away and be totally fine and not have to worry about something, anything really, it made my time a lot more fun and fulfilling because I kept the job that I wanted because I enjoyed it for the most part, but I only did like two, like a two year extension, a three year reenlistment, you know, the smallest chunks of time I would obligate because, you know, after a while, you, you know, you can stand on your head for two years if things are bad. Like that's, that's not a big deal, but you know, that <laughs> right there, like, okay, if this is this bad, I can walk away at this point and I'm, I'm totally yep. fine. Um, but by having that, freedom just in your own head, it made it so much more enjoyable because then I realized that if I stuck around, it's because I chose to, because I wanted to, not because I felt I had to. And just that mindset alone made it so much more fulfilling and so much more enjoyable. And and like you said, at any point, then if you're like, ah, this just isn't what I what it used to be to me, cool. Then yep. you can just step right out and uh, move on with the other the next career, next goal, next project. But I think having that option is just freeing on both sides, whether you stay or go, it just really having that freedom is, is amazing. I tell readers all the time to take it one obligation at a time. Don't sit there and say that I've got an 18 year plan to retire at 20 years. You're going to be a completely different person in five years, let alone 18 years. 
just take it one obligation at a time. And, and when it's no longer challenging, fulfilling, that's the time to consider finding something else to do. And the whole purpose of financial independence is not to live a life of deprivation for 20 years to have another lifetime of financial luxury. Yeah. The whole purpose is to have a good quality of life and have choices. Yeah. Choices. And I think choices are huge just to that quality of life point. You know, it's yeah. nice to have choices for sure. I think that I beat myself up a little bit when I first was transitioning out, looking at, at uh, you know, the new projects I was doing and, and things and like, wow, I, where would I be financially if I had done this career before, because you know, there's a there's a oh, yeah. on the military side what you're making. There's a very low ceiling of what you're making, but it does give opportunities. I'm not. I mean, it. I enjoyed it, but when you look financially, wow, where would I be if I'd started this five years earlier? You know, <laughs> I also had to stop and think. Well, would I have been able to advance as quickly with this new project if I hadn't had that five more years of experience in whatever was in there too? So I think that sometimes people, including me beat themselves up a little bit about things like that or second guess or doubt themselves of, I should have done this. I should have done that. And that does no good either. You know, like what you're yep. doing now all comes from your past experiences. So kind of accept yep. those, say thanks for the good and the bad of it and uh, use them to move forward. Right. You got some awesome memories, but those memories and those experiences also made you so successful in the civilian lifestyle. And maybe you were looking at that green grass on the other side of the fence, but you really needed the military to be able to, realize that potential. Right, for sure. And, and sometimes we have different uh, different itches that need to be scratched at different times, you know? Like there's certain things you want to do, like later in life, you, you can go do that other thing. But again, yep. the options you were talking about. Choices, absolutely. How about some of that? I know we talked on the phone a little bit about like long-time landlording and uh, some, of, some of that good stuff. Can you uh, give a little bit of insight on that? There's some goods and bads from that as well, right? I, I can talk about building a career in investment real estate, but everybody does that. It's all over the internet. It's just like financial independence. Mm -hmm. What I find is that the long-term plan is frequently lacking, maybe not even there. And and I always ask landlords when I, when I talk to real estate investors, I say, well, what's your exit strategy? Because many of us that start in that, the exit strategy is uh, probate. You really don't have one. You're just going to hold right. these rental properties and keep growing the business to the skies and become a major multinational corporation. And, and, and that's fine. Uh, but at some point, if you decide that you don't want to be a landlord anymore, or if you want to move into a different style of investing, you've still got to think about that exit strategy and, and what you're going to do with all these assets you've collected and with all this cash flow. And I tell people that when you reach your living expenses off the uh, after tax, after expenses, net operating income, well, now maybe it's time to consider what you want to do for the next phase of your life. Do you really want to keep growing the real estate business because you enjoy it that much? Or do you want to just have a lifestyle business that fuels your cash flow and probably is sustainable for the rest of your life? I mean, you don't need to score a huge appreciation on a property and cash out. You don't need to boost your cash flow. It's probably going to rise with uh, the market rents and inflation, and it's going to keep up with your lifestyle expenses. What do you want to do next? And so that's the part that I talk about. And in my case, uh, we've been landlording for 24, the last 27 years now. And it's been interesting, uh, but we've done enough of it. And I know there are other things you can do to make it a little easier, like bring in a property manager or change where you're investing or, or do things to improve your cash flow. But it's all more or less managing an investment property and the novelty's worn off. 
Now, my spouse and I talk about this all the time, and she points out that our rental property, as long as we've had it for, is a wonderful place where we can age in place and spend the rest of our lives. We're living in a really nice home right now, and I'm pretty sure that when I'm 82 years old that I'm going to struggle a little bit with the yard work and maybe the second story steps and those kinds of things everybody worries about as you get older. But I want to spend the rest of my life here, and I enjoy this house we're living in right now. So my attitude is, well, I want to sell that rental property. I don't need it anymore, and I don't want to have to deal with any of the hassles. I'd rather travel the world and not have to talk to property managers or tenants anymore. And the counterpart to that for my spouse has been, well, if you die first, I'd rather live in that property down there because it's so friendly for aging in place. And and she seems awful confident. I, I don't know if you see this in your family, but she seems awful confident that I'm going to die first. Yeah, there's a plan in place. <laughs> apparently she's got an extra strategy for me that I hadn't even considered. But again, that does make me look at a lifetime of landlording. Now, the way we negotiated this compromise is that she's doing the vast majority of the landlord work now. All, all I do is show up to be essentially labor because right. I can fix stuff. If there's anything I learned from the submarine force, it's how to fix stuff. Right. So that, that skill will continue to support her efforts at being the landlord and property managers and everything else we decide to do over the years. But these are the issues that real estate investors, when you're first starting out, when you're buying that, that first single family home or a duplex, or you're finally ready to make that leap into multifamily, you're not ready to think about that exit strategy yet. Right. One day, uh, I'll be there to answer those questions for those who are. Awesome. Okay. I'm going to keep your uh, keep your number in my uh, phone then because I'm going to probably need that as well. I'm happy to do that because how many landlords do you know that actually have fully depreciated the 27 and a half year macros depreciation on their rental property? We're almost there. Oh, wow. Hey, that, yeah, exactly. You don't see that very often. No. <laughs> well done. Yeah, thank <laughs> you, I guess. Uh, I, I'm hoping to avoid the depreciation recapture, right? But the only way that I can see to do that is to uh, <coughs> probate. Yeah. It's your wife's plan, right? That, that's the, yeah, she's got, she's got the plan, yeah. yeah that's awesome. Uh, but, but like you did when we talked before, you had mentioned that too. And I do. It, that's a, a pretty good problem to have. That, oh, oh, absolutely. Here's the home that I, I I want to I want to live until I die, or this one. You know, there's our two options in paradise. Yep, not a bad choice. I'll, I'll point out that we bought that rental property in 1989 as our primary residence, and then we upgraded to the one we're living in now. But back in the 80s and early 90s, you bought a home at every duty station because real estate always went up. But that's really about all you had the ability to analyze was what's in your immediate neighborhood. Right. Uh, today, if I was starting over with the web and all the resources out there on the internet, I would never invest in a Hawaii property for cash flow. There's no way you're going to get the, uh, the capitalization ratio you want out of it unless you're going to go in there and essentially demolish and rebuild right. or take over something that's been horribly mismanaged and, and put it back into the third millennium and do a better job with it. But meanwhile, there are better places to invest in rental properties all over the mainland, and that's what I would do. And I'd probably be much happier. I'd have the team in place. I'd have you know the ten or twenty or thirty properties. I'd have the cash flow, and that works a lot better than the three to four percent cap rate that I'm seeing from this rental property here on Oahu. <laughs> right. But we we have a family plan. We have a legacy plan. We have an estate plan, and so all of that will work out. 
And, uh, you know, my, my daughter and our son-in-law might be listening to this podcast one day, and, and they know that if they return to the islands one day, that they're going to be the leading candidates to become the property managers to figure this out and see <laughs> yeah. if they want to have this kind of career. There, you do have an exit strategy then. You're putting one together now. Oh, absolutely. As soon as my daughter finds out about it, that's right. <laughs> yeah, right. She might have another plan too, but, but right now <laughs> it's all good. Since we're talking about that, that long-term strategy, like you're saying, there are so many options now. Absolutely. Nationwide. And that opens up something as well where, you know, it's still great. People can buy a property in their duty station. Awesome. Leave that one behind. That's no big deal. But a lot of times, for instance, people in San Diego, you know, where I am now, if they they can maybe use a loan or whatever and purchase their primary residence, it's difficult if they don't know how to leverage certain things to pick up rental properties in California because of the price they're looking at. And I'm sure the same in Oahu now, yep. but they just don't know all the time yet that there are those options in other parts of the country that where instead of looking at it as like, wow, I'm only making a few hundred dollars a month, you know, of a positive cash flow. If I get into this thing, they don't look at the things that you're, you mentioned, like the depreciation, you know, other, other advantages. And the fact that that few hundred dollars a month on a much, much, much smaller investment is really a bigger, a better rate. You know, that's the thing. People don't look sometimes at the, the rate of return, you know, what type of ROI they're getting. They just look at the dollar amount. You know, and I think that that's a, a bit of a short-sighted look at, well, not a bit of, that's total short-sighted, but it's just out of not experiencing it, not, not really getting started in it. And I think, like you said, now there's so much information out there, just a little bit of research. You can start finding areas that almost anyone could put away some money to be able to get into uh, property somewhere in the States that's going to make them money. Um, just a very short time of putting, putting that away with And the other thing that's important, I think too, is not to take away from all other avenues as well. Like, you know, if you've got your TSP set up and you've got, you know, what other, whatever your plan is, you can have multiple plans. You don't have to sacrifice one for the other. You just may have to take a step here, then it takes, take a step there, but you know, you can have this coming from all directions. I, I tell people that whether your asset allocation plan is all in the stock market or all in real estate, that you should diversify enough that you've got that core background of passively managed funds or passively managed real estate cash flow. And if you want to go out there and, and, and pick something special, limit that to about 10% of your asset allocation. You know, if you're going to go out and pick stocks or if you want to try something uh, different in real estate, don't put all those eggs in that one big basket, even if you're going to keep a close eye on that basket. Yeah, right. And when they do that, that 10%, if you turn out to be that brilliant investor, give me a call. Right. But if you turn out to be that brilliant investor, then that's enough to move the needle on your net worth and help you decide if you want to continue doing that. Uh, also, that 10% asset allocation is small enough that if you're not quite as brilliant as you think, it limits the damage of the downside. Right, right. And yeah, I find that a lot, that I'm not quite as yeah. brilliant. As I thought, but yeah. okay. I had I had a, a pretty brilliant. Um, I did limit it to my you know smaller percentage, but I had a pretty brilliant blackjack investing plan. So <laughs> turns out that wasn't my finer plan either, but uh, it's all good. You know, we learn from that as well, right? Uh huh. So, what's your next step, like, in your opinion? Besides, I know that I know it seems like even from talking to you before, I can tell you're passionate and you enjoy sharing your knowledge and experience and stuff. So. What is the, the next plan beyond the books? And, you know, are you going to slow down at all? 
Well, it's interesting. Again, I've kind of aged out of this early retirement part of the financial independence. Uh And everybody knows how to do that anyway. And so I can mentor an occasional person in their 20s or 30s or 40s who's going that direction, but that stuff is all out there. Uh, Instead, after 18 years of retirement, uh, I am probably one of the more experienced people in financial independence and sustainability of lifestyle for the rest of your life. And now I'm starting to get those questions like, hey, I'm almost 60 years old. My reserve or National Guard pension is starting up. What do I do? I'm looking at Social Security. I'm looking at Medicare. What's this TRICARE for life thing? When do I want to start Social Security? All these questions come up as you get into your 60s and 70s. And I'm, I'm afraid I'm leading the charge on that now. And I am in a position where I have the time to think about these things and the experience to reflect on making it sustainable and having a long-term plan. So I think that that's the point where I can keep on writing. The dirty little secret is I can't stop. I uh, enjoy writing. I do it for an hour or two every day. And I'm always going to be writing the next blog post, the next book, something like that. And uh, every couple of years, an idea comes along. I get asked some questions and we say, hey, we should write a book. And now there we go. So I'm working on updates to previously published books, but when I finally put all those projects to bed and finish that, the next thing is a book on financial independence for the rest of your life. Uh, I also am going to start writing smaller, shorter eBooks on little topics in insurance. For example, I don't think anybody wants to read more than 100 pages of a book about TRICARE. Right. And maybe it's a lot to ask people to read more than 100 pages about life insurance, but you can cover a lot of ground in that basic overview and help people figure their thinking and where they want to go next. I think the life insurance one, that would be a huge one. I get um, a lot of questions on that and I'm not equipped to answer them, to be honest. I think a lot of us don't think about that, especially during our military time, because you're, you know, I don't know, just like, that's not something you think about. You don't think about that future sometimes and we should. I will say one thing a lot of my friends, including myself, made the mistake of is not starting it before you get out and do any of your uh, you oh, know, yeah. exit physicals and disability physicals and stuff like that. Get started well before then if you're going to do it. But yeah, that's something that I, if you could just jump ahead and write that one next, I would super appreciate it. Next month? Yeah, next week? Yeah. Great. I'd appreciate that. Thanks. <laughs> I've got some blog posts in the pipeline that are starting to talk about that now, because this time before I write that next book, I'm going to do it on the blog first and then gather all the blog posts up into book chapters. Oh, right on, right on. Then I'll just watch the blog post for my little uh, morsels. Absolutely. So really then your next plan is just either continue writing or professional surfer. Seems like you're your two options. And I'm now a professional grandparent. It turns out the qualification and certification requirements for grandparenting, I don't know if they really understand who they're giving that license to, but I'm delighted to get more involved in that. So family has become more important over the last 10 years. Once you can design your lifestyle, you realize the important things are spending quality time with your family. For sure. And congrats for that. That's awesome. Thank you. Well, how about anything else that you can think of? Like, what's one thing that you would want anyone to hear as far as we're going to get into where to access all your information before we get off here? But do you have uh, one golden pointer for anyone, especially still in the military, to plan ahead that we haven't talked about already? We, we talk about the fog of war when you're in the military, but the reality is everybody else has to deal with the fog of work. Yeah. And it's difficult why you're on active duty and why you're busy with family, it's tremendously hard to take a step back and think about what your next five years are going to be like. 
especially if you're coming up on that transition point, you have to think about that transition point and you really don't want to. Right. But the pulling your head out of the fog and being able to make a plan is very difficult. Uh, I've got a great post on the military guide, cleverly titled The Fog of Work, that helps you become aware of those issues and, and think about what you would do to get out of that fog. But that's the whole idea is to take it one military obligation at a time and pretend like every time that obligation ends, draws near, that you have a transition plan and you're ready to leave active duty for the reserves or National Guard or become a total civilian. Think that planning every obligation so that as you reach financial independence, you're actually ready to take that next step without fear. It's difficult to drop that scarcity mindset when you're leaving the military. but. Once you get out, once you've had a couple of years of experience outside of the military, you'll make that change to um, an abundance mindset. And today, I see opportunity everywhere. And when I talk with younger people who are quite focused on their jobs, their careers, and the things that are important, which they should be focused on, it is very difficult to change from that scarcity mindset to see the abundance. No, that, I think that's a that's a great tip. And thank you. I think. Uh, that a lot of people don't realize when they are transitioning out, whether it be retirement or any time after you spend a significant amount of time in the military, is that five-year, I love when you said the five-year, look ahead, that five-year plan, look ahead, you know, what are you trying to do five years? Because even when you are separating, retiring or separating, those initial couple of years, there's a fog there too. Oh, yeah. I think it's tough. For me, it was tough to really get clarity during that time because it really is different that people you're working with, unless you go into another DOD type of job or you know contract job or something like that, if you're going to something separate from what your military career was, there is a fog there of like, do I find real meaning in this or am I doing it for money? You know, is this something that I, it's sustainable that I want to do? Uh, what is, it? it really was kind of difficult to be totally honest for that first couple of years. And I hear that from a lot of my friends as well. Oh yeah that clarity piece of it and it takes some of them a few years to even and they'll jump from a job to a job till they get to something that fulfills them and you know that makes them happy and their family happy moving forward but that's that's why the studies show that half of all veterans change their jobs within the first two years is that you finally learned and gotten good at figuring out how to change your job and get paid more and find the career you really want Right. Yeah, that's huge. I, I think that's a good. That's what I'm going to take away from this call, though, is that the five year look ahead five years. I think if we you can apply that to almost anything in your life, you know, if you're looking ahead five years, have some type of plan, and you're at least going in that direction. I don't think you can go wrong. Hey, if you're going to reenlist for a six or an eight year contract, then you should absolutely be able to plan five years ahead, right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. That's a <laughs> huge point. Yeah. Well, Doug, where can anyone reach out for your information? I, I've got some of this stuff written down. We'll put it on with the website as well so people can access it. But if you could just let us know the best ways you prefer to be contacted and where they can find your info. You can find me online at themilitaryguide.com. And the military guide is a phrase that's been around on the internet for 10 years now. So it's pretty high in the search engines. You'll find that in the first page of results. You can even search for my name and you'll probably find that in the first page of results to find the military guide. The uh, second book, Raising Your Money Savvy Family for Next Generation Financial Independence, the website for that is my daughter's website. She's put her efforts into childfire.com. 
fire, you know, financial independence, retire early, right? Childfire.com. Uh, that comes from Choose FI from the, uh, the website and the podcast Choose FI. And so those are the places you can find uh, my writing about military personal finance and next generational finance. Uh, I'm also on Twitter and Facebook. <clears throat> I keep my uh, Facebook profile totally public so that everybody can stalk it and see what the glamorous financial independence lifestyle looks like and, and surfing pictures. So that's another way to find me. Yeah, that's what I saw mostly when I was looking up. It's uh, surfing pictures. All right, it's working, man. I'm doing it right. Yeah, yeah, you got me motivated for sure. <laughs> Doug, I really appreciate you taking the time with us today. Uh, like, great information, and I, and I think hopefully we'll be able to do that uh, follow up. I know we discussed before. I'd love to get more info and and a little bit more into the book that you and your daughter wrote. Can't wait to check that out. Thank you, and I'm happy to come back and uh, talk more about all the other aspects of all those subjects that we realized we had here. That you know, I mean, I'm, you're going to bring me back when it makes sense. A few months down the road, a few years down the road, I'll, I'll still be here. Or yeah, or, or depending on how many people send in questions, like, oh crap, yeah, life insurance. Oh crap. Yeah, ask me anything. Yeah, and then I'll be like, okay, gotta get Doug back on. I got too many questions now. Yes, please. Awesome. Hey, thank you so much, and uh, hopefully you get an awesome day out in Hawaii, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, Jay. Thank you. Talk to you later.